0: VOLUME One OF THE BOOK OF A THOUSAND NIGHTS AND A NIGHT TRANSLATED BY RICHARD BURTON THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG RECORDING BY PETER YEARSLEY THE BOOK OF A THOUSAND NIGHTS AND A NIGHT SECTION 23 THE BARBER'S TALE OF HIS FIFTH BROTHER My fifth brother, al-Nashar, the babbler, the same who was cropped of both ears, O commander of the faithful, was an asker wont to beg of folk by night, and live on their alms by day. Now when our father, who was an old man, well stricken in years, sickened and died, he left us seven hundred dirhams, whereof each son took his hundred. But, as my fifth brother received his portion, he was perplexed and knew not what to do with it. while in this uncertainty he bethought him to lay it out on glassware of all sorts and turn an honest penny on its price. So he brought an hundred dirhams worth of verterie and putting it into a big tray, sat down to sell it on a bench at the foot of a wall against which he leant back as he sat with the tray before him, he fell to musing. And said to himself, Know, O my good self, that the head of my wealth, my principal invested in this glassware, is an hundred dirhams. I will assuredly sell it for two hundred, with which I will forthright buy other glass and make by it four hundred. Nor will I cease to sell and buy on this wise till I have gotten four thousand, and soon find myself the master of much money. With these coins I will buy merchandise and jewels and otars, and gain great profit on them." Still, Allah willing, I will make my capital an hundred thousand dirhams. Then I will purchase a fine house with white slaves and eunuchs and horses, and I will eat and drink and disport myself. Nor will I leave a singing man or a singing woman in the city, but I will summon them to my palace and make them perform before me. All this he counted over in his mind, while the tray of glassware worth an hundred dirhams stood on the bench before him and after looking at it, he continued, "'And when, inshallah, my capital shall have become one hundred thousand dinars, I will send out marriage brokeresses to require for me in wedlock the daughters of kings and wazirs, and I will demand to wife the eldest daughter of the Prime Minister, for it hath reached me that she is perfect in beauty and prime in loveliness, and rare in accomplishments. I will give a marriage settlement of one thousand dinars, and if her father consent, well.' but if not, I will take her by force from under his very nose. When she is safely homed in my house, I will buy ten little eunuchs, and for myself a robe of the robes of kings and sultans, and get me a saddle of gold and a bridle set thick with gems of price. Then I will mount with the mamelukes preceding me and surrounding me, and I will make the round of the city whilst the folks salute me and bless me, after which I will repair to the wazir, he that is father of the girl, with armed white slaves before and behind me and on my right and on my left when he sees me the wazir stands up and seating me in his own place sits down much below me for that i am to be his son-in-law now i have with me two eunuchs carrying purses each containing a thousand dinars and of these i deliver to him the thousand his daughter's marriage settlement and make him a free gift of the other thousand that he may have reason to know my generosity and liberality and my greatness of spirit and the littleness of the world in my eyes, and for ten words he addresses to me I answer him two. Then back I go to my house, and if one come to me on the bride's part, I make him a present of money, and throw on him a dress of honour, but if he brings me a gift, I give it back to him and refuse to accept it, that they may learn what a proud spirit is mine which never condescends to derogate." thus i establish my rank and status when this is done i appoint her wedding-night and adorn my house showily gloriously and as the time for parading the bride is come i don my finest attire and sit down on a mattress of gold brocade propping up my elbow with a pillow and turning neither to the right nor to the left but looking only straight in front for the haughtiness of my mind and the gravity of my understanding and there before me stands my wife in her raiment and ornaments lovely as the full moon, and I, in my loftiness and dread lordliness, will not glance at her, till those present say to me, O our lord and our master, thy wife, thy handmaid, standeth before thee, vouchsafe her one look, for standing wearieth her. Then they kiss the ground before me many times, whereupon I raise my eyes and cast at her one single glance, and turn my face earthwards again. Then they bear her off to the bridechamber, chamber, and I arise and change my clothes for a far finer suit, and when they bring in the bride a second time, I deign not to throw her a look, till they have begged me many times, after which I glance at her out of the corner of one eye, and then bend down my head. I continue acting after this fashion, till the parading and displaying are completed. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the thirty-third night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the barber's fifth brother proceeded. Then I bend down my head, and continue acting after this fashion, till her parading and displaying are completed. Thereupon I order one of my eunuchs to bring me a bag of five hundred dinars, which I give as largesse to the tire-women present, and bid them one and all lead me to the bride chamber. When they leave me alone with her, I neither look at her nor speak to her but lie by her side with my face to the wall, showing my contempt, that each and every may again remark how high and haughty I am. Presently her mother comes in to me, and, kissing my head and hand, says to me, O my Lord, look upon thy handmaid who longs for thy favour, so heal her broken spirit. I give her no answer, and when she sees this, she rises and busses my feet many times, and says o my lord in very sooth my daughter is a beautiful maid who hath never known man and if thou show her this backwardness and aversion her heart will break so do thou incline to her and speak to her and soothe her mind and spirit then she arises and fetches a cup of wine and says to her daughter take it and hand it to thy lord but as she approaches me i leave her standing between my hands and sit propping my elbow on a round cushion purfled with gold thread leaning lazily back, and without looking at her in the majesty of my spirit, so that she may deem me indeed a sultan and a mighty man. Then she says to me, O my Lord, Allah upon thee, do not refuse to take the cup from the hand of thine handmaid, for verily I am thy bondswoman. But I do not speak to her, and she presses me, saying, There is no help but that thou drink it, and she puts it to my lips. Then I shake my fist in her face, and kick her with my foot thus. So he let out with his toe, and knocked over the tray of glassware, which fell to the ground, and falling from the bench, all that was on it was broken to bits. "'O foulest of pimps! This comes from the pride of my spirit!' cried my brother. And then, O Commander of the Faithful, he buffeted his face and rent his garments, and kept on weeping and beating himself. The folk who were flocking to their Friday prayers saw him, and some of them looked at him and pitied him, while others paid no heed to him, and in this way my brother lost both capital and profit. He remained weeping a long while, and at last up came a beautiful lady, the scent of musk exhaling from her, who was going to Friday prayers, riding a mule with a gold saddle, and followed by several eunuchs. When she saw the broken glass and my brother weeping, her kind heart was moved to pity for him, and she asked what ailed him, and was told that he had a trayful of glassware, by the sale of which he hoped to gain his living. But it was broken, and, said they, There befell him what thou seest. Thereupon she called up one of her eunuchs, and said to him, Give what thou hast with thee to this poor fellow. And he gave my brother a purse, in which he found five hundred dinars. And when it touched his hand, he was well-nigh dying for excess of joy, and he offered up blessings for her. Then he returned to his abode a substantial man, and as he sat considering, someone rapped at the door. So he rose and opened, and saw an old woman whom he had never seen. O my son, said she, know that prayer-tide is near, and I have not yet made my wuzu ablution, so kindly allow me the use of thy lodging for the purpose. My brother answered, To hear is to comply, and going in bade her follow him, so she entered and he brought her an ewer wherewith to wash, and sat down like to fly with joy because of the dinars which he had tied up in his belt for a purse. When the old woman had made an end of her ablution she came up to where he sat, and prayed a two-bow prayer, after which she blessed my brother with a godly benediction, and he, while thanking her, put his hand to the dinars, and gave her two, saying to himself, These are my voluntaries. When she saw the gold she cried, Praise be to Allah! Why dost thou look on one who loveth thee as if she were a beggar? Take back thy money. I have no need of it, or if thou want it not, return it to her who gave it to thee when thy glassware was broken. Moreover, if thou wish to be united with her, I can manage the matter, for she is my mistress. O my mother! asked my brother. By what manner of means can I get at her? And she answered, O my son, she hath an inclination for thee but she is the wife of a wealthy man. So take the whole of thy money with thee, and follow me, that I may guide thee to thy desire. And when thou art in her company, spare neither persuasion nor fair words, but bring them all to bear upon her. So shalt thou enjoy her beauty and wealth to thy heart's content. My brother took all his gold, and rose, and followed the old woman, hardly believing in his luck. She ceased not faring on, and my brother following her, till they came to a tall gate, at which she knocked, and a Roamy slave-girl came out and opened to them. Then the old woman led my brother into a great sitting-room, spread with wondrous fine carpets, and hung with curtains, where he sat down with his gold before him, and his turban on his knee. He had scarcely taken seat, before there came to him a young lady, never I saw fairer, clad in garments of the most sumptuous, whereupon my brother rose to his feet and she smiled in his face and welcomed him, signing to him to be seated. Then she bade shut the door, and when it was shut, she turned to my brother, and taking his hand, conducted him to a private chamber, furnished with various kinds of brocades and gold cloths. Here he sat down, and she sat by his side, and toyed with him a while, after which she rose and, saying, Stir not from thy seat till I come back to thee, disappeared. Meanwhile. As he was on this wise, lo, there came into him a black slave, big of body and bulk, and holding a drawn sword in hand, who said to him, Woe to thee! who brought thee hither? and what dost thou want here? My brother could not return him a reply, being tongue-tied for terror. So the blackamoor seized him, and stripped him of his clothes, and bashed him with the flat of his sword-blade, till he fell to the ground, swooning from excess of belabouring. The ill-omened nigger fancied that there was an end of him, and my brother heard him cry, "'Where is the salt-wench?' Whereupon in came a handmaid, holding in hand a large tray of salt, and the slave kept rubbing it into my brother's wounds. But he did not stir, fearing lest the slave might find out that he was not dead, and kill him outright. Then the salt-girl went away, and the slave cried, "'Where is the souterrain guardianess?' Hereupon in came the old woman, and dragged my brother by his feet to a souterrain and threw him down upon a heap of dead bodies. In this place he lay two full days, but Allah made the salt the means of preserving his life by staunching the blood and staying its flow. Presently, feeling himself able to move, al-Nashshar rose and opened the trap-door in fear and trembling, and crept out into the open, and Allah protected him, so that he went on in the darkness and hid himself in the vestibule till dawn when he saw the accursed Beldam sally forth in quest of other quarry. He followed in her wake without her knowing it, and made for his own lodging, where he dressed his wounds and medicined himself till he was whole. Meanwhile he used to watch the old woman, tracking her at all times and seasons, and saw her accost one man after another, and carry them to the house. However he uttered not a word, but as soon as he waxed hale and hearty, He took a piece of stuff and made it into a bag, which he filled with broken glass, and bound about his middle. He also disguised himself as a Persian that none might know him, and hid a sword under his clothes of foreign cut. Then he went out, and presently, falling in with the old woman, said to her, speaking Arabic with a Persian accent, Venerable lady, I am a stranger arrived but this day here, where I know no one. Hast thou a pair of scales wherein I may weigh eleven hundred dinars? I will give thee somewhat of them for thy pains. I have a son, a money-changer, who keepeth all kinds of scales," she answered, So come with me to him before he goeth out, and he will weigh thy gold. My brother answered, Lead the way. She led him to the house, and the young lady herself came out and opened it. Whereupon the old woman smiled in her face, and said, I bring thee fat meat to-day. Then the damsel took my brother by the hand, and led him to the same chamber as before where she sat with him a while, then rose and went forth, saying, Stir not from thy seat till I come back to thee. Presently in came the accursed slave with the drawn sword, and cried to my brother, Up and be damned to thee! So he rose, and as the slave walked on before him, he drew the sword from under his clothes and smote him with it, making head fly from body. Then he dragged the corpse by the feet to the souterrain and called out, Where is the salt-wench? Up came the girl carrying the tray of salt, and seeing my brother sword in hand, turned to fly, but he followed her, and struck off her head. Then he called out, Where is the Souterrain Guardianess? And in came the old woman, to whom he said, Dost know me again, ill-omened hag? No, my lord, she replied, and he said, I am the owner of the five hundred gold pieces, whose house thou enterest to make the ablution and to pray and whom thou didst snare hither, and betray. Fear Allah, and spare me, cried she, but he regarded her not, and struck her with the sword till he had cut her in four. Then he went to look for the young lady, and when she saw him, her reason fled, and she cried out piteously, Aman, mercy! So he spared her, and asked, What made thee consort with this blackamoor? And she answered, I was slave to a certain merchant, and the old woman used to visit me, till I took a liking to her. One day she said to me, We have a marriage-festival at our house, the like of which was never seen, and I wish thee to enjoy the sight. To hear is to obey, answered I, and rising, arrayed myself in my finest raiment and ornaments, and took with me a purse containing an hundred gold pieces. Then she brought me hither, and hardly had I entered the house when the black seized on me, and I have remained in this place three whole years through the perfidy of the accursed Beldam. Then my brother asked her, Is there anything of his in this house?" Whereto she answered, Great store of wealth, and if thou art able to carry it away, do so, and Allah give thee good of it. My brother went with her, and she opened to him sundry chests, wherein were money-bags, at which he was astounded. Then she said to him, Go now and leave me here, and fetch men to remove the money. He went out and hired ten men, but when he returned he found the door wide open, the damsel gone, and nothing left but some small matter of coin, and the household stuffs. By this he knew that the girl had overreached him, so he opened the storerooms and seized what was in them, together with the rest of the money, leaving nothing in the house. He passed the night rejoicing, but when morning dawned he found at the door some twenty troopers, who laid hands on him, saying, "'The Governor wants thee!' My brother implored them hard to let him return to his house, and even offered them a large sum of money but they refused, and binding him fast with cords, carried him off. On the way they met a friend, of my brother, who clung to his skirt and implored his protection, begging him to stand by him and help to deliver him out of their hands. The man stopped, and asked them what was the matter, and they answered, The governor hath ordered us to bring this fellow before him, and look ye, we are doing so. My brother's friend urged them to release him, and offered them five hundred dinars to let him go, saying, When ye return to the governor, tell him, that you are unable to find him. But they would not listen to his words, and took my brother, dragging him along on his face, and set him before the governor, who asked him, Whence gottest thou these stuffs and moneys? And he answered, I pray for mercy, that the governor gave him the kerchief of mercy, and he told him all that had befallen him, from first to last, with the old woman and the flight of the damsel, ending with, Whatso I have taken, take of it what thou wilt, so thou Leave me sufficient to support life. But the Governor took the whole of the stuffs, and all the money for himself, and fearing lest the affair come to the Sultan's ears, he summoned my brother and said, Depart from this city, else I will hang thee. Hearing and obedience, quoth my brother, and set out for another town. On the way thieves fell foul of him, and stripped him, and beat him, and docked his ears. But I heard tidings of his misfortunes, and went out after him taking him clothes and brought him secretly into the city where i assigned to him an allowance for meat and drink and presently the caliph gave ear to the barber's tale of his sixth brother my sixth brother o commander of the faithful shakashik or many clamours the shorn of both lips was once rich and became poor So one day he went out to beg somewhat to keep life in him, and as he was on the road he suddenly caught sight of a large and handsome mansion, with a detached building, wide and lofty at the entrance, where sat sundry eunuchs, bidding and forbidding. My brother inquired of one of those idling there, and he replied, The palace belongs to a scion of the Barmaki house. So he stepped up to the doorkeeper and asked an alms of them enter said they by the great gate and thou shalt get what thou seekest from the wazir our master accordingly he went in and passing through the outer entrance walked on a while and presently came to a mansion of the utmost beauty and elegance paved with marble hung with curtains and having in the midst of it a flower garden whose like he had never seen my brother stood a while as one bewildered not knowing whither to turn his steps Then, seeing the farther end of the sitting-chamber tenanted, he walked up to it, and there found a man of handsome presence and comely beard. When this personage saw my brother, he stood up to him, and welcomed him, and asked him of his case, whereto he replied that he was in want and needed charity. Hearing these words, the grandee showed great concern, and, putting his hand to his fine robe, rent it, exclaiming, What! am I in a city, and thou here am hungered?" I have not patience to hear such disgrace. Then he promised him all manner of good cheer, and said, There is no help but that thou stay with me, and eat of my salt. O my lord, answered my brother, I can wait no longer, for I am indeed dying of hunger. So he cried, O boy, bring basin and ewer, and turning to my brother, said, O my guest, come forward, and wash thy hands. My brother rose to do so, but he saw neither ewer nor basin. Yet his host kept washing his hands with invisible soap in imperceptible water, and cried, "'Bring the table!' But my brother again saw nothing. Then said the host, "'Honour me by eating of this meat, and be not ashamed.' And he kept moving his hand to and fro, as if he ate, and saying to my brother, "'I wonder to see thee eating thus sparely. Do not stint thyself, for I am sure thou art famished.' So my brother began to make as though he were eating while his host kept saying to him, "Fall to and note especially the excellence of this bread and its whiteness!' But still my brother saw nothing. Then he said to himself, "'This man is fond of poking fun at people,' and replied, "'O oh, my lord, in all my days I never knew aught more winsome than its whiteness or sweeter than its savour. The barmecide said, "'This bread was baked by a handmaid of mine, whom I bought for five hundred dinars.' Then he called out, "'O oh, boy, bring in the meat-pudding for our first dish.' and let there be plenty of fat in it.' And, turning to my brother, said, "'O my guest, Allah upon thee, hast ever seen anything better than this meat pudding. Now by my life, eat and be not abashed.' Presently he cried out again, "'O boy, serve up the marinated stew, with the fatted sand-grouse in it.' And he said to my brother, "'Up and eat, O my guest, for truly thou art hungry and needest food.' So my brother began wagging his jaws, and made as if champing and chewing whilst the host continued calling for one dish after another, and yet produced nothing save orders to eat. Presently he cried out, "'Oh, boy, bring us the chickens stuffed with pistachio-nuts,' and said to my brother, "'By thy life, O my guest, I have fattened these chickens upon pistachios. Eat, for thou hast never eaten their like.' "'Oh, my lord,' replied my brother, "'they are indeed first-rate.' Then the host began motioning with his hand, as though he were giving my brother a mouthful, and ceased not to enumerate and expatiate upon the various dishes to the hungry man whose hunger waxed still more violent, so that his soul lusted after a bit of bread, even a barley scone. Quoth the barmecide, Didst thou ever taste anything more delicious than the seasoning of these dishes? And quoth my brother, Never, O my lord. Eat heartily, and be not ashamed," said the host, and the guest. "'I have eaten my fill of meat.' So the entertainer cried, "'Take away and bring in the sweets.' And turning to my brother said, "'Eat of this almond conserve, for it is prime, and of these honey fritters. Take this one. By my life the syrup runs out of it.' "'May I never be bereaved of thee, O my lord,' replied the hungry one, and began to ask him about the abundance of musk in the fritters. "'Such is my custom,' he answered. "'They put me a dinar weight of musk in every honey fritter, and half that quantity of ambergris.' all this time my brother kept wagging head and jaws till the master cried enough of this bring us the dessert then said he to him eat of these almonds and walnuts and raisins and of this and that naming divers kinds of dried fruits and be not abashed but my brother replied o my lord indeed i am full i can eat no more o my guest repeated the host if thou have a mind to these good things eat allah allah do not remain hungry But my brother rejoined, O my lord, he who hath eaten of all these dishes, how can he be hungry? Then he considered, and said to himself, I will do that, shall make him repent of these pranks. Presently the entertainer called out, Bring me the wine, and moving his hands in the air, as though they had set it before him, he gave my brother a cup, and said, Take this cup, and if it please thee, let me know. O my lord, he replied, it is notable good as to nose, but I am will to drink wine some twenty years old? Knock then at this door, quoth the host, For thou canst not drink of aught better. By thy kindness, said my brother, Motioning with his hand as though he were drinking. Health and joy to thee, exclaimed the housemaster, And feigned to fill a cup and drink it off. Then he handed another to my brother, Who quaffed it, and made as if he were drunken. Presently he took the host unawares, and, raising his arm till the white of his armpit appeared, dealt him such a cuff on the nape of his neck, that the palace echoed to it. Then he came down upon him with a second cuff, and the entertainer cried aloud, What is this, O thou scum of the earth? O my lord, replied my brother, thou hast shown much kindness to thy slave, and admitted him into thine abode, and given him to eat of thy victual. Then thou madest him drink of thine old wine, till he became drunken and boisterous, But thou art too noble not to bear with his ignorance and pardon his offence. When the Barmaki heard my brother's words, he laughed his loudest and said, Long have I been wont to make mock of men and play the madcap among my intimates, but never yet have I come across a single one who had the patience and the wit to enter into all my humours save thyself. So I forgive thee, and thou shalt be my boon companion, and thou shalt be my boon companion in very sooth, and never leave me. Then he ordered the servants to lay the table in earnest, and they set on all the dishes of which he had spoken in sport, and he and my brother ate till they were satisfied, after which they removed to the drinking-chamber, where they found damsels like moons who sang all manner songs, and played on all manner instruments. There they remained drinking till their wine got the better of them, and the host treated my brother like a familiar friend, so that he became, as it were, his brother and bestowed on him a robe of honour, and loved him with exceeding love. Next morning the two fell again to feasting and carousing, and ceased not to lead this life for a term of twenty years, at the end of which the barmecide died, and the Sultan took possession of all his wealth, and squeezed my brother of his savings, till he was left a pauper without a penny to handle. So he quitted the city, and fled forth following his face, but when he was half-way between two towns, The wild Arabs fell on him, and bound him and carried him to their camp, where his captor proceeded to torture him, saying, Buy thy life of me with thy money, else I will slay thee. My brother began to weep, and replied, By Allah, I have nothing, neither gold nor silver, but I am thy prisoner, so do with me what thou wilt. Then the Badawi drew a knife, broad-bladed, and so sharp-grinded, that if plunged into a camel's throat it would sever it clean across from one jugular to the other and cut off my brother's lips, and waxed more insistent in requiring money. Now this Badawi had a fair wife, who in her husband's absence used to make advances to my brother, and offer him her favours, but he held off from her. One day she began to tempt him as usual, and he played with her and made her sit on his lap, when, behold, in came the Badawi, who seeing this cried out, Woe to thee, O accursed villain! Wouldst thou debauch my wife for me? Then he took out a knife, and cut off my brother's yard, after which he bound him on the back of a camel, and carrying him to a mountain, left him there. He was at last found by some who recognized him, and gave him meat and drink, and acquainted me with his condition, whereupon I went forth to him, and brought him back to Baghdad, where I made him an allowance sufficient to live on. This then, O Commander of the Faithful, is the history of my six brothers, and I feared to go away without relating it all to thee. And leave thee in the error of judging me to be like them and now thou knowest that i have six brothers upon my hands and being more upright than they i support the whole family when the caliph heard my story and all i told him concerning my brothers he laughed and said thou sayest sooth o silent man thou art indeed spare of speech nor is there aught of forwardness in thee but now go forth out of this city and settle in some other and he banished me under edict I left Baghdad, and travelled in foreign parts, till I heard of his death, and the accession of another to the Caliphate. Then I returned to Baghdad, where I found all my brothers dead, and chanced upon this young man, to whom I rendered the kindliest service, for without me he had surely been killed. Indeed he slanders me, and accuses me of a fault which is not in my nature, and what he reports concerning impudence and meddling and forwardness is idle and false. For verily on his account I left Baghdad, and travelled about full many a country, till I came to this city, and met him here in your company. And was not this, O worthy assemblage, of the generosity of my nature? The End of the Tailor's Tale Then quoth the tailor to the King of China, When we heard the barber's tale, and saw the excess of his loquacity, and the way in which he had wronged this young man, we laid hands on him, and shut him up, After which we sat down in peace, and ate and drank, and enjoyed the good things of the marriage-feast, till the time of the call to mid-afternoon prayer, when I left the party and returned home. My wife received me with sour looks, and said, Thou goest a-pleasuring among thy friends, and thou leavest me to sit sorrowing here alone. So now, unless thou take me abroad, and let me have some amusement for the rest of the day, I will cut the rope, and it will be the cause of my separation from thee so I took her out, and we amused ourselves till supper-time, when we returned home and fell in with this hunchback, who was brimful of drink, and trolling out these rhymes—'Clears the wine, the cup's fine, like to like they combine, it is wine and not cup, tis a cup and not wine.' So I invited him to sup with us, and went out to buy fried fish, after which we sat down to eat, and presently my wife took a piece of bread and a fid of fish, and stuffed them into his mouth and he choked, and though I slapped him long and hard between the shoulders, he died. Then I carried him off, and contrived to throw him into the house of this leech, the Jew, and the leech contrived to throw him into the house of the reeve, and the reeve contrived to throw him on the way of the Nazarene broker. This then is my adventure, which befell me but yesterday. Is not it more wondrous than the story of the hunchback?" When the King of China heard the tailor's tale, he shook his head for pleasure and, showing great surprise, said, This that passed between the young man and the busybody of a barber is indeed more pleasant and wonderful than the story of my lying knave of a hunchback. Then he bade one of his chamberlains go with the tailor and bring the barber out of jail, saying, I wish to hear the talk of this silent man, and it shall be the cause of your deliverance one and all. Then we will bury the hunchback, for that he is dead since yesterday, and set up a tomb over him. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the thirty-fourth night, she said, "'It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the king of China bade, "'Bring me the barber, who shall be the cause of your deliverance. Then we will bury this hunchback, for that he is dead since yesterday, and set up a tomb over him.' So the chamberlain and the tailor went to the jail, and releasing the barber, presently returned with him to the king. The Sultan of China looked at him and considered him carefully, and lo and behold he was an ancient man, past his ninetieth year, swart of face, white of beard, and hoar of eyebrows, lop-eared and proboscis-nosed, with a vacant, silly, and conceited expression of countenance. The king laughed at this figure of fun, and said to him, O silent man, I desire thee to tell me somewhat of thy history. Quoth the barber, O king of the age! allow me first to ask thee what is the tale of this nazarene and this jew and this muslim and this hunchback the corpse i see among you and prithee what may be the object of this assemblage quoth the king of china and why dost thou ask i ask he replied in order that the king's majesty may know that i am no forward fellow or busybody or impertinent meddler and that i am innocent of their calumnious charges of overmuch talk for i am he whose name is the silent man and indeed peculiarly happy is my sobriquet, as says the poet, when a nickname or little name men design, know that nature with name shall full oft combine. Then said the king, explain to the barber the case of this hunchback, and what befell him at supper-time, also repeat to him the stories told by the Nazarene, the Jew, the Reeve, and the tailor, and of no avail to me is a twice-told tale. They did his bidding, and the barber shook his head, and said, By Allah! "'This is a marvel of marvels. "'Now uncover me the corpse of yonder hunchback.' They undid the winding-sheet, and he sat down, and, taking the hunchback's head in his lap, looked at his face, and laughed and guffawed till he fell upon his back, and said, "'There is wonder in every death, "'but the death of this hunchback is worthy to be written "'and recorded in letters of liquid gold.' The bystanders were astounded at his words, and the king marvelled, and said to him, "'What ails thee, O silent man? "'Explain to us thy words.' O king of the age," said the barber, "'I swear by thy beneficence that there is still life in this gobbo lightly. Thereupon he pulled out of his waist-belt a barber's budget, whence he took a pot of ointment and anointed therewith the neck of the hunchback and its arteries. Then he took a pair of iron tweezers and, inserting them into the hunchback's throat, drew out the fid of fish with its bone, and when it came to sight, behold, it was soaked in blood. Thereupon the hunchback sneezed a hearty sneeze and jumped up as if nothing had happened, and passing his hand over his face, said, I testify that there is no God but the God, and I testify that Mohammed is the Apostle of God. At this sight all present wondered. The king of China laughed till he fainted, and in like manner did the others. Then said the Sultan, By Allah, of a truth this is the most marvellous thing I ever saw. O Muslims, O soldiers all, did you ever in the lives of you see a man die and be quickened again verily had not allah vouchsafed to him this barber he had been a dead man quoth they by allah tis a marvel of marvels then the king of china bade record this tale so they recorded it and placed it in the royal muniment rooms after which he bestowed costly robes of honour upon the jew the nazarene and the reeve and bade them depart in all esteem Then he gave the tailor a sumptuous dress, and appointed him his own tailor, with suitable pay and allowances, and made peace between him and the hunchback, to whom also he presented a splendid and expensive suit, with a suitable stipend. He did as generously with the barber, giving him a gift and a dress of honour. Moreover, he settled on him a handsome sold, and created him barber-surgeon of state, and made him one of his cup companions. So they ceased not to live the most pleasurable life and the most delectable, till there came to them the destroyer of all delights, and the sunderer of all societies, the depopulator of palaces, and the garnerer for graves. Yet, O most auspicious king, continued Shahrazad, this tale is by no means more wonderful than that of the two wazirs and Anis al-Jalis, quoth her sister Dunyazad, and what may that be? Whereupon she began to relate the following tale of Nur al-Din Ali and the damsel Anis al-Jalis. The End of Volume 1 of The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night Translated by Richard Burton